Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Some do this out of anger, others to show excitement, and others simply to make a point. What's the topic of today? Cussing and whether or not Christians should be using such language. To discuss this very important topic is none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Praise God, Chad. Uh, very important topic. And there's a lot of uh, pastors that are using choice words from the pulpit these days. And this is definitely something that needs to be addressed because the flocks follow them. They follow their examples and can't tell the difference between a Christian oftentimes and non-Christian regarding their mouths. Yeah, it is interesting just talking about this topic because that is one of the first things uh, when you're working out in a secular field that somebody may notice, not by you saying, oh, please don't say those words or, or something along those lines, but just someone seeing your refrain from using such choice language. And it's interesting, Joe, that I found that every single culture has choice language, has yeah. curse, cursed language that is not supposed to be used by those who I believe— it's not supposed to be used by those who love Jesus specifically. Uh, yeah. But even some of those things are not allowed even amongst secular people. And you can lose your job in some cases. I know someone who actually got fired as a police officer, which sounds crazy, but it's true. I coached both of his sons in wrestling and got fired for using foul language, actually. So. Yeah, and there's millions of people that if they hear a guy cussing at work, and he claims to be a Christian, they'll think he's a hypocrite. The perception the world has, do we really want them to think we're dragging the Lord's name through the through the mud, you know? No, amen. And it's really important for us to go over these things because people can hear arguments, Joe, and people even make arguments from Scripture, and people can get very, very confused. I think of a story, and this was somebody I knew before I was saved and then after. And he was going out with uh, a girl that was actually friends with my now wife, Holly, and they were having a discussion about cussing and saying, hey, you got, you should stop using this language and so forth. And they were debating about it. And it's all how the enemy works. It's very interesting that they went to a Sunday night college group with a local pastor here that's no longer a pastor. And he used foul language from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. And familiar with it. You should have saw a big giant grin that he came over with to say, see, I told you so. The pastor does it. So this must be just okay. Yeah, because she was chiding him, saying, hey, you're supposed to be a Christian, you're cussing, and they're seeing each other, and he was a prospective husband, and he made a lot of excuse in the book, but hey, since his pastor did it, it was okay. Yeah, it's it's interesting how that happens, and he's not the only one, and this was not long after a lot of that young, restless, and reform movement, and we're going to talk about some of the pastors. In fact, I'm going to go over some of the ones we'll talk about in the show, and some of them we've talked about on other shows as well. But just to name a few, from Jeff Durbin to John Piper to Perry Noble and Mark Driscoll, plenty of pastors have chosen to use curse words in order to get their point across, or even, sadly enough, Joe, 
just to tell a joke sometimes. Yeah, and at least one of those guys did apologize later, although it was kind of, uh, you know, it was kind of qualified as though maybe what he did wasn't necessarily wrong if, if he used it in another context or what have you. We'll get into that later. But uh, yeah, it's horrible because some of these leaders, now you have among the young, restless, and reformed, many of the Calvinist leaders, uh, or among many of the Calvinist pastors, a lot of them use choice language because they first heard it, say, in 2007, perhaps, at a passion conference where John Piper was, which we'll talk about later, used language. And, and then a lot of these leaders say, wow, if it's him, just like the story that you uh, shared earlier, uh, they follow in their wake. And then you have all kinds of cussing Christians because you have so-called cussing pastors. And we wonder, you know, where's the line, you know, because can you be a drunk Christian? Can you be an adulterous Christian? Can you be a murdering Christian, a serial killer Christian, uh, homosexual Christian? Uh, these aren't these words aren't congruent. Uh, these words to be a Christian, drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Murderers will you know go to the lake of fire, right? Uh, you know and so forth. So you cannot be a Christian and be in rebellion. But some say, oh, you know, since I was saved way back then, and I, no matter what I do, I'm saved. They think they got a license to sin uh, with impunity. And, or some of them aren't even convicted, hey, cussing is not sinful because actually the Apostle Paul cussed, which he really didn't. We're going to get into that later as well. No, and it is interesting, Joe, because when we look at specifically from James chapter 3, just to get a starting place. And if you're ever wondering, where should I go to to look about what the, it, the Bible says about the tongue, just go to James chapter 3 and you're going to get a bunch of really good I guess, proverbial text for you because, I mean, really, James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. But it starts off this way, Joe, and we talk about, it's almost like sometimes people separate James 3.2 when we talk about, hey, sinless perfectionism from James 3.1. But here's James 3.1. It says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Now, he gives many more analogies right there, but you can see succinctly how important it is to bridle that tongue. Yeah, and then he talks about cursing later. He talks about a fountain shouldn't give forth sweet water and, and uh, bitter water. That's not, that's not the way it is. And how could we bless and also curse? And the word cuss, by the way, comes from the word curse. When you curse someone out, or you cuss them out, it's the same thing. Yeah, and when we see this and we see, first of all, what is he saying? Not many of you should become teachers because you're going to incur a stricter judgment. And then you have teachers saying this. And and Joe, seeing the anecdotal evidence of people we know, specifically that we know, who have been affected by teachers doing something. And by the way, that same teacher who cussed and then the young man thought, now I have my ticket, free ticket to ride here. I can talk however I want to, I want to talk because he said this. That same teacher even said sorry as well. But yeah. guess what? The damage has been done. And it's really hard to put the toothpaste back in the bottle. And some young man who is cussing and then hears that and maybe was feeling conviction at some point, their conscience bearing witness against them, 
about their language, about not bridling their tongue, now has that free ticket. And even after you say sorry or whatever, it's almost like the newspaper that writes this big giant article on somebody and then on the back we, the back a week later say, oh, sorry, that wasn't under true. Under small print, yeah. Under small print. It's like, come on, man. Do you realize what you've done? Do you realize how serious this is? And you mentioned John Piper. And you mentioned this, and Joe, you, you talked about this on the sermon uh, at Blessed Hope Chapel recently, where you talked about making sure that in the name of Jesus, we stop cussing. Yeah, I just recently did a message called uh, Stop Cussing in the Name of Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to check that out uh, just a couple Sundays back or so, and you can look it up, and I think you'll really be edified. Yeah, it is so important to see those messages. And that's going to go a lot more in-depth than what we can go here. But we like to have this conversational piece for you guys to have and maybe share with your friends as well. But right. check you, that out on know, Blessed Hope Chapel. Amen. But before we go further and get into the, the nitty-gritty of these guys and really need to look at it, and men who have had true heartfelt repentance and from the pulpit and said, hey, this was wrong. I condemn what I did. Uh, I apologize. Please forgive me. Uh, you know, I believe there was forgiveness there. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, there's a lot of damage that's been done. And there actually needs to be, these things need to be rectified. And there needs to be messages against this and examples that are set. But you've been in James chapter 3 a little bit, Chad. Uh, James deals with this as a salvific issue to a degree. Okay, because when James, he's not just saying, which is important, he's saying, we all stumble in many ways, and then he talks about the misuse of the tongue. But in James chapter 2, right before that, he talks about faith without works is dead. And then, well, Joe, are you saying that if we are just cussing up a storm and we don't refuse to repent, that our faith is dead? That's what James is saying. You know how I know that? Because in James chapter 1, verse 26, he says, if anybody thinks he's religious, you think you're a Christian, and he refuses or he fails, he fails to bridle his tongue. He says, he says he deceives his own heart, and his religion is in vain. His Christianity is in vain. Now, Chad, when he goes, not, I mean, not long after that, he talks about faith without works is dead. So I, we say this because we love you, but and, we, and maybe the Holy Spirit's letting you watch this if you have that problem, and he's convicting. You're not talking about if you slip once in a while, you're like, ah, Man, Lord, I'm, Lord, I'm sorry I said that. I'm talking about if you're just strewing a bunch of bad words together, and you're cursing people and cussing people out, and you and, and you're, you're and you don't care to, about grieving the Holy Spirit at all. You just go your own way, and you don't bridle your tongue. It's not even a battle for you. You have to say, "Where is your heart with Jesus, man?" Because I'm not saying this. You got to face the Word of God. He says very specifically, if anyone thinks he's religious and, ref- and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. As religion is in vain. And then he goes into faith that works is dead. And then he goes into James chapter three. So this is very, very heavy, heavy, very heavy, uh, important thing that we get right because Jesus said every idle word, not just paragraphs, every idle word, not even just bad words, idle words will be taken into account on judgment day in Matthew chapter 12. Exactly. And these things are really important. And you mentioned the, you know, coming clean and saying, hey, you know what? I shouldn't have said that and so forth. And in that sermon uh, that was mentioned, you brought up the John Piper incident at mm-hmm. Passion 2007, where mm-hmm. he, it's sad because when we're talking about this, this is somebody deciding they're going to go into a message typically and use this kind of language. Because everyone here, you know, we've all prepared messages and maybe you haven't, but I'm saying we've all, those who share, those who teach, prepare their messages. And something like that to just come out of the blue, one, that would show that that's your normative language if it wasn't something you were preparing to do. But if you are preparing that for your message or for your statement or whatever it is, you're preparing to use this language. And then, Joe, when you mentioned his apology seemed sort of, yeah, I'm sorry, but maybe I could use it again. 
that that's not your words. That's actually his. And I want to read from his apology. Here's what it says. If I wanted to take the time and I felt more defensive than I do, this is during his apology, I could probably go to the Bible and find language as offensive as that in the mouth of prophets and even God when dealing with the grossness of evil. But I doubt that the moment in the breakout session called for something that extreme. Sometimes, maybe. I hope the Lord turns it for good. So, once again, this is an issue of instead of just repudiating the fact that you can't bridle your tongue, you're going back to, I could give you a defense. If I really felt offended, I could give you a defense where I am allowed to cuss because there was language used at times and and so forth. And that doesn't seem like much of an apology to me. Yeah, Wayne Grudem uh, wrote in another Reformed writer, and we're not Calvinists, but these are Calvinists amongst themselves. And he actually posted Grudem's... uh, uh, Grudem saying, hey, I'm, I'm grateful that you apologize. But then Grudem, as you read his article that was posted, he actually, you know, tries to school him a little bit, tries to school Piper and trying to get him to understand how bad it was or it is to for, to use language. Other Reformed teachers like Tim Chalice, I read uh, what he had said about this. This happened way back in 2007, but he had said that he was grateful that he apologized, but he also stated that he doesn't really seem to have a moral conviction that it was that 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 using that kind of language is wrong based on the caveats or based on, I should say, the qualifications of Piper stating that in certain circumstances it would have been okay to use that in more severe circumstances and so forth. And what's heartbreaking about that, it was in the wake of him doing that, after that, you saw this incredible increase of Reformed people, Reformed leaders using bad language. Uh, Mark Driscoll, who was a Calvinist leader, not long after that was known as the cussing pastor uh, and others as well. And again, it's not all Calvinist leaders. Obviously, many of them, you know, uh, had a hard time with it, and even had a hard time, according to Chalice, with his with his apology. But no, this is a huge concern because uh, now we have all kinds of cussing in the pulpits, and pastors are thinking, "Hey, man, I, I just, it's either I want to look cool, you know, or in his case, he did say in the apology that uh, it was a mixture of reasons. One reason he, Piper said was he wanted to titillate the audience, you know, uh, and that's what you call tickling people's ears, which Paul warned about in the last days." Uh, and at the same time, I'm not saying where his heart is now. I don't know where he's at at this very moment. Hopefully he would say, I'd never do that again. And, and he said, why do I do this? I, obviously, it was somewhat habitual in some way. Hopefully it's not anymore. Yeah, and like you said, he's not the only one, in fact, even in the non-reformed uh, places. Even Perry Noble was caught. Uh, one time it looked like he was probably using the N-word, actually, uh, talking down on our black brothers and sisters but another time, wow. it seemed it seemed also like he was just using language that was not foreign to him. That this is in his this is his natural body of work, especially because if you've ever seen a Perry Noble a Perry Noble sermon, you know he's kind of flying just off the cuff. Anyways, he doesn't usually have much in terms of depth. But nonetheless, this next one, we're actually going to play the clip, and I I want to give some context to it because we'll play a short clip from it. And this is from Jeff Durbin of Apologia Church. This happened back in October. Another, re- another Reformed leader. Yeah. And this one happened a little while ago, and this was at the height of what was going on in terms of BLM and, and a lot of the, the protests that were going on and so forth. And this is the clip is called Jeff Durbin Confronts the Woke Church. And in the beginning of it, he talks about how Hey, I, I, when it comes to foul language, when it comes to cursing, my children get disciplined, like harshly if they, if they use foul language. But here in Ezekiel, here's what 
God says about their whoring and, and so forth, right? And then he goes on a diatribe against what would be the BLM movement. And by the way, we've done entire messages, plenty of messages. You've done messages from the pulpit. We've done messages on the Good Fight Radio show against BLM, specifically because of their witchcraft and against the family unit, the very thing that Satan is against. That's why Lester Crowley wrote the poem, Family Public Enemy Number One, and yeah. that's what, what they said. They were against the, the yeah, family. Yeah, fully and absolutely pro-black, but not pro the organization BLM, which just calls for the destruction of the nuclear family. And to make sure that homosexuality is pushed, but they don't and do much to stop. the leadership's involved in witchcraft. And they, they're involved in witchcraft, and also they don't actually care about black lives, or they would try to stop the abortion mills from killing black came babies. In, yeah. It seems like it got pocketed. No, we go on amen, on. amen. So yes, we can, guess what, use we just talked about all that and exposed it for wickedness. And guess what we didn't do, Joe? We didn't cuss. We didn't cuss a single didn't time. Didn't need to. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. But apparently Jeff thinks he needs to. You never and need to. <laughs> Joe, he is going to give a reason, or not really a reason, but a very common statement that is given when someone likes to use foul language, or not even likes, but uses it to try to get their point across. Thus, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your woke bullshit. I could do this, by the way, more Pauline, if you like. You invalidate it for the sake of your scubula. Now, Joe, it's sad because you hear the audience laughing. So it does seem like this scubula, which comes from Philippians chapter 3, the most joyful letter probably of all Paul's yeah. letters. But um, it's interesting. You hear them laughing. So it seems that there are other people in the audience who have might, might have heard this argument before. Oh, yeah, that's right. I could say that word, too. I don't even like to use the acronym, by the way, because then you typically play it in your head. And I would hate for someone to meditate on that wickedness in their head. But nonetheless, you see someone using this, people laughing, and then him saying, hey, Paul uses this, too, Joe. Yeah, the problem with this is that uh, he's saying, if I could have been more Pauline about it, and I could have used the word scubula, as though scubula was this really bad word that Paul used. Uh, equivalent to the word that he just used, which we just heard not bleeped out. It's really horrible. You got it bleeped out, hopefully, for you guys. It's like, whoa, man, that's strong. And uh, But Chad, and I know we're going to get into this a little bit, but it's really interesting because he is misleading his audience, whether he knows it or not, to think that the word scubula is equivalent to the word he just used, the BS word. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> it's not even... So the, in other words, if Paul said, said this is a bunch of scubula, people would have thought, oh, Paul used that bad word. It wasn't considered a bad word, though, in Paul's day, which we're going to discover. Yeah, no, it is. It's quite interesting. And that's to their hear first. That. That's their biggest point they typically make. That is, and it, it's interesting how everyone that I've seen that attempts this goes to that one word. Yeah, I gave an example on the, the, a couple Sundays ago when I did the message. You know, stop cussing in the name of Jesus Christ. I gave the example of Relevant Magazine trying to make that point that it's, you know, I went to, uh, there's another article I read, I couldn't believe it. It says, scubula is, and it uses the S word, and it says it's the Siest of the S at the bottom of the S, at the very bottom of that, and it's that S. I'm like, dude, you are so off, and you are so misleading your audience. Yeah, and I actually saw this article, and Joe, you did as well, you quoted from it, actually, in the sermon uh, mentioned, and it will be in the description here below as well, not only the article, but that sermon. And it's from an article by Gary Manning Jr. And it's called, Did the Apostle Paul Use Profanity? In Philippians 3.8, the Apostle Paul compares his religious credentials to knowing Jesus. The difference could hardly be more emphatic. 
knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, is of surpassing value. But Paul's past success is like scubala. Scubala is commonly translated as rubbish, refuse, or garbage, but sometimes more strongly as dung in both ancient and modern translations. Some have suggested another four-letter translation stronger than dung. While teaching Greek, I used to say that scubala is the closest thing to a swear word you can find in the New Testament, and I was repeating something I had heard or, or read quite a few times. Spick's Greek lexicon even suggests that scubala should have rendered C-R-A-P. But is it true? Is scubala a swear word or maybe a rude word or is it unobjectionable? We have to define swear words to know if Paul used any. Swear words are often used as interjections, drat, insults, the dratted child, or invective curses, curse you, Perry the platypus. In general, swear words have synonyms that are acceptable for normal use, like dung in the place of the S word. But unlike drat or dung, a real swear word is one that you won't use around your mother, to use a technical linguistic definition of profanity. They are not used in polite society. With that in mind, I did a search of two exhaustive databases of ancient Greek literature, Perses and Thesaurus Lingua Graecia, to see if scubala functions as a swear word in Greek. I discovered that nowhere in all of ancient Greek literature is there a clear example of scubala functioning as a swear word or even as a rude word. I could not find a single place where it was used as an insult, invective curse, or interjection. In fact, the normal use of scubala in ancient Greek scholarly literature makes it almost impossible that it was a swear word. Here is the evidence for my claim, a list of the known uses of scubala in ancient Greek text. And as you can see with that list there, Joe, clearly he did a lot of research here to show, hey, this is not what Paul was trying to get across. So I send that over to you with a question. Joe, if the one place that a lot of these pastors or teachers seemingly try to go is right there in Philippians 3, and we just can't find it, whether in the Church Fathers, Greek Anthology, Ben Sirach, it doesn't matter where you look, we can't find it. But here they are, teacher after teacher, or anyone who's trying to prove that they are allowed to cuss to get a point across, or whatever it may be, this is what they point to. Why do you think they have such shifting sand to stand on for their cursed language? Well, I think a lot of times people are looking for loopholes to, you know, make excuses for their wrong. Uh, sometimes they're just misled and they've read something as this uh, professor had misread one or has re had read before, and they're sincerely deceived. I let God deal with their hearts. I do know that people, uh, the homosexual community will try to seize upon, oh, Jonathan and David were close. That must have been a homosexual relationship. Therefore, it's okay to be homosexual. Or, hey, look, people that believe that women can be pastors, contrary to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 3, they'll say, hey, look, you know, Priscilla, along with Aquila, they taught Apollos. And, well, well yeah, but uh, she wasn't a pastor. Well, Deborah was. Well, no, she wasn't either. Well, yeah, but, you know, or people that try to, oh, look, they get drunk. Well, look, man, you know, Paul told Timothy to drink some wine. He said, drink a little wine for your frequent stomach ailments, not to get drunk, you know. And the scriptures forbid all these different things, and they use these bad, you know, excuses as loopholes. And here, Durbin and others use this as a loophole so they can cuss in the pulpit. And they do the same thing, just on a different, with a different sin. And it's heartbreaking, and they need to repent. Uh, because 
Uh, you know, and if, if he was able to find even one, it would show that that wouldn't be normative, that somebody might have used it that way, but it wasn't used that way. Couldn't even find one. So there may be one you can even find out there, but that's not, it was not used as a cuss word, and they're using it. It's a false proof text. No, and here's the thing. Since Joe, and we want to leave you with a lot of scripture here to kind of go off of. So let's actually look at what the Bible does say concerning our language. Now, we've already seen James chapter 3. But I know you mentioned this in the more recent sermon regarding this. And like I said, if you want to go more in depth, I really encourage you to check that out. We'll have the link in the description. But nonetheless, Joe, let's kind of hammer out a few texts that maybe, hey, maybe if you have this problem, and and I encourage you guys with this before we hammer this out for our last couple minutes of the show. When I came to the Lord and I no longer wanted to do the very wicked sins that I was involved in, one of which was being a drunkard. One of the things that I did was I took down Proverbs 23, 31 through 35. I wrote it on a note card and I put it inside my wallet so that if I was tempted, because it says don't look at wine when it sparkles in the glass, when it's red Mm -hmm. in the cup and so forth. If I was tempted in that way, I would look at that verse and remember exactly the mire that Christ took me out of, that lifestyle that he took me out of. So maybe if you're struggling, these are some verses that I think would be really beneficial for you to say, let me write these on my heart so that I may not sin against you, God. So, Joe, let's go over some scriptures to encourage them with to say, hey, if you're having a struggle or a problem with your tongue, maybe memorize these scriptures. And when those things take place, let's not give them a caveat, give them an out. But let's say, let's bridle our tongue for the glory of God. Yeah, let's look at that. And let's also, also I think something that would be very, very helpful, I dealt with this in the Sunday message a while back when I dealt, dealt with the subject matter, is that uh, some people will say, hey, the word Jesus, I mean, the name Jesus Christ used over and over again, so how come I can't just use it in, when I'm upset? Well, that's because you're using it out of its proper context. You hit your finger with a, a hammer and you yell his name. Uh, people use cuss words and they use the name of Jesus instead of a cuss word as a cuss word. He be, his name becomes a cuss word because God looks at the heart and Jesus says out of the, out of the fullness of the heart, um, the, mouth, the mouth speaks. And I think it's important too because the Bible uses words like damned, and hell talks about all those who receive not the love of the truth will be damned. The Bible talks about people going to hell and so forth. There's a proper context in which to use that, those, those words. It's when you take those words and you use them in a cavalier way. You minimize, you trivialize the importance of those words. You take them out of their sacred setting. And we're not supposed to call that which is common, that which God has called clean or holy and profane. But here's some scriptures we'll go through rather briefly. But these will, should be more than enough to make you never want to cuss again especially when we're going to stand before God and give an account, right? We read in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. I'll just read part of it. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word, but only such a word as is good for edification. means building people up according to the need of the moment. There must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And then he goes on, Chad, which is really heavy, to talk about, these are ways you're basically mouthing things that are wicked behavior, like fornication and so forth. He says those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of Christ. So we're not supposed to be using our mouths to describe these things in a wicked way or in a cavalier way and make jokes about sexual sin and what have you. Uh, Chad, we also read uh, in, the, I think these, we're going to hit these quick, Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. And two, hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has charged to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing or cussing. 
It's been translated both ways. There's only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. And it puts cussing on the same ground as it puts stealing and lying. Uh, I don't want to be put in that category, okay? Uh, Also, uh, Ephesians 4.29, another translation says, Let there be no more foul language, but good words instead. Colossians 3.8, when discussing the new man and what we're supposed to put on and put off, he says, Now it's time to cast off and throw away all these rotten garments of anger hatred, cursing, and dirty language. I mean, it's very, very clear in the scripture, James 3.10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. There's so many scriptures that speak against this, and I thought it was interesting because we had a really great talk, and we'll just end it with this, is, uh, and I know you've shared this before with the youth, and I praise God when I heard you, you've shared this with the youth before, bless my heart, because my son, which kind of precipitated me giving a message on this, he was talking with other young men in the youth group on, on his phone, and he was looking for verses to use about using bad language to encourage each other. And because they had a discussion and he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, what did Peter do when he wanted to deny Christ and show that he wasn't really with Jesus? He wasn't really a follower of Christ. What did he do? And Chad, I'll let you take it from there. And we'll end the show with this. Yeah, you must have saw it up on my screen. But yes, that's exactly right. When Peter I did wanted it, but to... hey, I wanted oh, to end with did? that too. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, when Peter wanted to prove that he wasn't the one walking with the Galilean, that he wasn't actually one with Jesus, the way that he did that specifically was by cursing. That's right. Was specifically by using language. He didn't go and say, I I wasn't with the Galilean and start beating people up. He didn't go and cut off Malthus number two's ear. No, he made sure that his language proved that he had nothing to do with That's how he denied Christ. Let's not deny Christ, man. Let's exalt Jesus with our words, amen, and glorify his holy name. Amen. God bless you guys. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's one 866 528-7884 We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show